If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And our question as we begin our message this morning, what if, what if there were some unseen force uh, that had influence over almost every single part of our lives? Uh, What if there were some unseen spiritual force that determines in large part the quality of our marriage? What if there were some evil force that influenced our relationships with our family and with our co-workers and with friends in the church and with, with neighbors? What if there were some influence that determined what temptations we would face and maybe at times took our strength away just as we face those temptations? What if there were some force that influenced our spiritual maturity, our vitality, and the hunger that we have for the Lord? Listen, I believe that the Bible contends that that is exactly so. Uh, The Bible teaches us that there is a malevolent force, an evil force, and uh, the Bible uses words like Satan and devil and devils and demons. And, and it says that there is this force that we contend with every day. And it determines much of how we live our lives. Could that be true? I know that most people in the world would dismiss that. Even most people who attend churches uh, in the world, Christian churches would dismiss that. Not, not here perhaps, but, but, but people have this attitude that if you can't see it, if you can't measure it, if you can't poke it or prod it, then it must not be real and it must not have influence. But the Bible says something very different. Sometimes whether something is real or not is determined, or at least it's perceived, by the lens through which we view it. Let let me explain. Uh, Early uh, in the 14th century, the greatest uh, catastrophe known to man uh, uh, came upon the scene. It was called the bubonic plague. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, It killed in 1347 one-third of the population of the entire world. Uh, It started around the Caspian Sea. It spread along the Silk Road. People tried to flee the disease, but as they they spread out across across Europe, uh, they ended up just spreading the disease further and further. Uh, In the middle 1400s, 1300s rather, the 14th century, the population in England went from 7 million people to 2 million people just because of the Black Death. Uh, In 1720, Marseille, France, one of the largest cities in France at the time, almost every single person in the city died in one year. Uh, Over 100,000 people died in the city of London in 1665. Nobody knew what the cause was. The, uh, the, the leading theory was that it was bad air that would get into people's houses, and so they would try to seal up their houses to keep the bad air out. They ignored the fact that because of the open sewers that went down the streets, that there were rats everywhere, and there were fleas on the rats, and being bit by fleas was, um, was just a normal course of everyday life. They never connected the bubonic plague with the fleas that were, that were biting them. So what caused the bubonic plague or the Black Death? 
It is a bacteria called the Yersinia pestis. And you see a picture of that on the screens. Uh, I wanted you to see this in case you, you know, encounter it in the next few days, you'll know to run. Uh, this is magnified a few times, in fact, 20,000 times with an electron microscope uh, before we put it on the screen and magnified it a, a few more times. It lives in the digestive tract of fleas that live on rats that live around sewers. And it was invisible, uh, essentially invisible to the people uh, in the 14th century and the 15th century and 16th, 17th, 18th century. If you would have suggested to people then that something that they could not see, that they could not detect in any way, something that they couldn't measure, something that they uh, could, could not perceive in any fashion, that that secret hidden thing was causing all of that destruction, they would have said, you're a crazy person. But it turned out that was the case. Now, what's my point? It turns out that this bug is invisible unless you look at it through the correct lens. People will say that, that demons and the demonic influence and Satan and the devils are not real, but they are. We just have to look at them through the right lens. And so this morning, and if the Lord allows next week, we're going to look at them through the right lens, which is, which is the Word of God. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to read just three verses this morning. Beginning in verse 10, the Bible says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So here we see three important facts that will help us to perceive the spiritual battle that's going on around us and then to respond to it in the right way. So I want to look at these three facts, but we're going to look at them backwards. We're going to start with verse 12 and let's see the fact there and then we'll look at verse 11 and then we'll conclude with verse 10. So what do we see in verse 12? Well, we learn this. Our struggle is with evil spiritual forces. Look, look at verse 12 again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. And it describes these that we'll look at a little further in a moment. One, one thing we often do is we completely misjudge who we're struggling with. We believe oftentimes that we're fighting against flesh and blood, but we're wrong. We think that our biggest problem is our spouse our biggest problem is a coworker. Our biggest problem is our boss or a relative or a friend or it's somebody in our neighborhood. We think our problems are people. We think it's people that are causing the greatest frustration. We, we think when we stand in line at the grocery store and we're losing our patience and our peace because the person, two people in front of us can't find her billfold when it's time to pay and we're just aggravated, we think the problem is the person, two, pieces, two people in front of us in line when the problem is really something else. We often think the problem is certain people. 
If that person just wouldn't do such and such, if I just didn't have to be around that person, if I had a different spouse or a different kid or different parents or a different coworker or a different supervisor, then everything would be different. But this passage says no. We fight not, we struggle not against flesh and blood, against people. We are struggling against evil, uh, satanic forces. And just understanding that, just, just recognizing that is, is half the battle. And, and, and it's a struggle to even recognize that because Satan knows that as long as we're fighting the wrong enemy, we're never going to win. As long as we think the problem is a person and we're struggling against a person and we don't understand that the real struggle is with him, then we will always lose and he will, he will always win. So we learn that our struggle is with evil forces, not with people. Now you see something about these forces in verse 12 that's interesting. He, he uses several words for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, and he says, rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of his darkness, against evil spiritual forces. Now these are not just synonyms that are stacked up on top of each other to give us a richer understanding of this. When you look at this in the original language, it, it, it actually is describing categories which tells us that these evil forces that are arrayed against us are organized. There are all these categories. There are authorities, there are rulers, there are cosmic powers. Now, some people have written entire books that talk about how they're organized. And I've read a couple of those books. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> because those books just really go way beyond what the Bible says. I don't know exactly how these forces are organized, but I know this, and this is the important thing. They are organized and they are arrayed against us. When we recognize that, as I said, that's half the problem because it removes the conflict from the equation. We think that there's a person and I'm in conflict with that person because of that person's attitude, because of something that person has done or something that person has said. And when I recognize that it's really a spiritual battle that I'm fighting, not a battle with that person, then it removes the conflict and it helps us to begin to fight uh, the, right, the right opponent. Now, the other thing I want you to see here is that it says evil forces in, in the heavens. So these forces are evil. That means that they are bent against us. They, they are trying to harm us. What, are, what is it that Satan's trying to accomplish when he wages war against us? Well, the first thing, he's trying to keep us from knowing Christ. If a person doesn't know Christ, if a person is not a child of God, then Satan's uh, number one priority is to keep that person from ever coming to know Christ, to discourage him from uh, reaching out to God or responding to God or reading his Bible or being exposed to the gospel or understanding the gospel. That's number one, to keep you from knowing Christ. But many of us, we know Christ. So what's Satan trying to do in our lives? Well, he's trying to keep us from walking with Christ where we enjoy our, our walk with Christ and our communion with Christ and, 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 and worship and the fellowship of, of, of believers. He's trying to keep us from walking with Christ. He's trying to keep us from influencing other people for Christ. And so if he can embarrass us, if he can bring shame in our lives, it keeps us from having influence with other people for Jesus. 
He's trying to keep us from honoring the Lord, from worshiping the Lord. I imagine Satan has worked on some of us this morning to keep us from coming here and focusing fully on the Lord for the hour that we have together. And he tries to rob us of abundant, of the abundant life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says that Jesus gives us this abundant life, this life of joy and peace and satisfaction. And that, that's something that Satan fights against. He wants us to, he wants to keep us from that. And so we see that our struggle is with evil forces, not with flesh and blood. It's not people that we struggle with. That's not our problem. Our struggle is with, 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 with spiritual forces that, that confuse our relationships with people, that cause us to accuse people, that cause us to distrust people. Our, our struggle is with evil forces, and those forces are trying to rob us of the abundant life that God would have us to live. That's what we learn in verse 12. Now, we, we back up in verse 11. Look at this. How do these forces do what they do? It says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God. We'll come back to that in a moment. So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, that's an important word, a scheme. Now, I know you're not interested in the, in the Greek uh, words for most English words. That doesn't mean anything or is not valuable to you. But, but, but this is one of those exceptions. The Greek word behind schemes is a word that you know. It's the word method. Methodeia is how it would be pronounced in Greek. But, but he's talking about these methods, these specific methods that Satan has, that these demonic forces have to, to battle you, to attack you, to cause you problems. It's very specific. And if you study this word method in, uh, in the Greek language and you see how it was used in Bible times, you, you see a couple of things that are really important. If if by schemes he has these methods to attack us, it means, first of all, that they are personalized. So Satan has, this should, this should be something that you take note of, Satan has a personalized plan to attack you. You, you know, for me, and, and the same thing is true of you, there are some sins that, frankly, I'm not saying I could never commit those sins, but they just... I'm just not attracted to those things. You know, are there some sins like that for you? You see other people do some things and you think, I would not in a million years do what you're doing. I'm just, I'm not tempted by that. That just seems horrible. I would have no desire to do that. You couldn't pay me to do that. So there are some sins like that for me. It's just the way I'm wired up. But then there are some other sins, right? There are some sins that just seem to have my name written on them or their name is written on me. What are the other? And, and, and I, I, I know I'm susceptible to those things. I know those things will find a weak area in my life. And that's, that's how I've been created. That's how, that's, that's my makeup. That's, that's how the sinful nature has warped me. And, 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 and so I know that I have some weaknesses. Now, the same thing is true of you. And if you don't think you have any weaknesses, well, then that's your weakness, right? Arrogance and deception. But, uh, the, the apostle Paul talked about the weaknesses that were in his life. So we all have these weaknesses. So Satan has a scheme for you, a scheme for you that's different from every other person's scheme, and he has personalized it to your weaknesses. Satan knows the areas that he can attack me, that he has the greatest chance of success because those are my weak areas. So we have to be 
especially guarded against those things. It's not just that there are these generic evil forces in the world, but there are, there are these forces that have schemes that are, that are personalized for you and for your weakness. Another thing we learn here with the word method is that the goal is long-term success. The goal is not just that Satan would derail you today, but that Satan would be able to derail you in the years and the decades to come. Do you sometimes look at your own sin and recognize that there have been some grooves that have been sort of carved in your life over the years, maybe over the decades, just some things that have become a part of your life that maybe weaken your walk with the Lord or weaken your marriage or cause you some other problem. And, and so you recognize that Satan didn't just have a, a five-minute scheme to destroy you, but he has a five-year or a 50-year scheme. There's a long-term goal, and Satan is patient, and Satan is, is careful to work toward that long-term goal to bring destruction in our lives. There's, there are the schemes of Satan. Now, what exactly, what are some of these schemes? What, what is he talking about? If we just had to point to some specific schemes here, what is he talking about? Well, here again, we have to be careful that we get, uh, that we answer the question from the Bible. Just as people have taken verse 12 that talks about the rulers and the authorities, and they've expanded on that and used their imagination and written whole books about the organizational structure of the demons, that's not biblical. We don't need to do that. People have also taken this, um, this idea here in verse 11 that the devil has schemes and they have come up with all kinds of things out of their imagination. Or they've come up with all kinds of things out of literature. It's, it's amazing how Dante's Inferno, are you familiar with that, has influenced how so many people, what they think about the devil and the schemes of the devil, and even, it even works its way into a lot of people's sermons, pastors that don't even recognize that that's where it came from. We have to be careful that we, we identify these schemes of Satan from the Bible and not just from our imagination or some movie that we have seen. So what does the Bible say the schemes are? Well, the Bible doesn't suggest that God haunts a house or that God possesses an object. I remember I had a worship pastor one time years and years ago, and every time something would go wrong on Sunday morning, he would say from the, from the pulpit, I mean, he didn't do this long before we uh, changed it, but he would say from the, from the pulpit, uh, well, the devil must be in the wires or the devil must have moved the microphone or the devil must be in the sound system. He was serious when he said those things. And I, you know, I finally had to pull him aside and say, you know, it, it, it's not the devil. It, it's, it's laziness. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you, you just didn't get the stuff done that you should have gotten done this week. Don't blame it on the devil when it's your fault. The devil is not in the sound system. The devil is not in the wires. The devil is not in my, I know my, my wireless microphone popped a minute ago. That was not the devil in my wireless microphone pack. Uh, it was something else, a short and a wire or something. So the devil doesn't do things that are physical. If, um, if we had more time, we could walk through the Bible. And some of this is a pretty sophisticated study, and it leans heavily on the original language. But you can see in the Bible uh, how the devil does not have influence over physical things. Sometimes God will influence physical things and, and give the devil 
authority over how he uses that to influence other people. But the devil's not moving a microphone. He is not uh, rewiring your house or causing a fire. So what are the schemes of the devil? Well, the Bible talks about very specific things. And so I I'm just going to give you 15 of them. I'm going to go really fast. And if you're interested in all the scripture passages that go with these, just go to our website. It'll probably be a few days until the office is up and running again. Uh, but you can download this, uh, this sermon and you can see all the scripture passages writ written out there. But here are some things. I found 15 just quickly in the New Testament, 15 times that the New Testament says, here's one of the schemes of Satan. Here's one of the things that he's using, personalizing it to bring his uh, ends in your life. Uh, number one, he tempts people to sin. 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, Mark 1, 13. Uh, number two, he hinders people by influencing other people. 1 Thessalonians 2, 18. Uh, next, he distracts from the conviction of the word of God. Mark 4, 4 15 and Matthew 13. He uses uh, obstacles that God allows in our lives to influence and discourage us, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He lies to us, John 8. He enables false teachers, 2 Corinthians 11, Acts chapter 13. He uses deception, 2 Thessalonians 2. He sows discord, 2 Timothy 2. He tempts people to be lazy and to gossip, 1 Timothy 5. He traps people into disgracing God and others, 1 Timothy 3. He exacerbates our anger, Ephesians 4. He confuses unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 4. He works through unforgiveness, 2 Corinthians 2. He tempts through a lack of marital sex, 1 Corinthians 7. He tempts people through greed, Acts chapter 5. Now, do you recognize some of those? Those are some of the ways, some of the tools, some of the schemes, methods that Satan uses to derail us as we, as we walk and live our Christian lives. Now, let's go to the third fact that's so important here. You find it in verses 10 and 11. Let's read the verses again. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. So it's the Lord that has the strength. Let's use the Lord's strength. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against. This is how you stand against the schemes of, of the devil. Let me tell you what the strategy for success is not. It is not to make 10 New Year's resolutions out of our own strength and our own resolve and our own determination. I and mean, that's, that's the lesson I want you to learn this morning, that, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, yours or somebody else's. This is not a, a physical contest. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough resolve. If you say, here are the problems that I have faced in 2019. So as I approach 2020, I will, I determine, I resolve, I will not do this. I will start doing this. I have enough strength. I have enough, I have enough uh, effort that I can give to this, that I can be more successful in 2020. That won't work. It's a spiritual battle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against, it's against spiritual forces. And so what we need to do is to, is, is to do this, first of all, in the Lord's power. The Lord makes his vast strength available to us for the battle. That's what he says in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. It's not by your strength that you're going to be successful. 
It's going to be the strength of the Lord. We have to avail ourselves of God's strength if we're going to have victory, if we're going to have success. So how do we do that? If, if I had to tell you just in one word, I think the word would be abide. Um, maybe a more contemporary word would be to remain. We have to remain in Christ. And when we remain connected to Christ day by day, moment by moment, then his strength flows into us and we're able to have victory in these, in these spiritual battles. Let, let me share with you what Jesus said in John 15. He says, remain in me, abide in me, stay connected to me, remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Jesus says, just as, just as a, a branch pulled off the vine can't produce any fruit, so you, if you're not connected with me, are not going to have any of my strength. I'm going to bring the strength, but you have to remain, stay connected to me in order to bear the fruit and to experience the strength. He says in the next verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, has, has great strength that comes from me, but you can do nothing without me. Apart from Christ, make all the resolutions you want to make in your own strength. They will amount to nothing. It is by the strength of the Lord. What he says in verse 10, the vast strength of the Lord that we will find success. And then a couple of verses down, Jesus goes on to say, if you remain in me, you stay connected with me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Now, there's a, there's a key truth there. So how do we stay connected with him? Well, he, he gives us two hints right in that last verse. He says, if my words remain in you, that's the word of God. And if you will ask me, that's prayer, then you'll remain in me. If we're going to have strength to fight the evil forces, we have to stay connected with Christ. And the chief way we do that is the word of God and through prayer. I know somebody years ago in my ministry he didn't mean this as a compliment, but he pulled me aside and he said, uh, Pastor, you know you just have two sermons. And I, 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 I waited to see, you know, what his, uh, uh, how he would elaborate on that. He said, yes, I've, I've listened to you over and over and over and you just have two sermons. One is read your Bible and the other one is pray. And he said, you just preach those same two sermons over and over and over. And like I said, he didn't mean this as a compliment. And I, and I thought about it and, you know, maybe there were, were some things I needed to, to, to change and, and to focus on with that. But I thought, you, you, you know what? Thank you for that. <laughs> because, you know, that's really, once you know Christ is your Savior, that's what it boils down to, right? You've got to, if you're going to bear fruit, you've got to remain in Christ. And how do you do that? The word, if the word remains in you and you ask whatever you will, if you will be in the word and pray. Now, there are a lot of other things in the Christian life and I need to be preaching about all of them. And so, you know, to the extent that he was right about some of that and, you know, some of that would be debatable. You know, I needed to be more careful. But, but you know, I was thinking, well, you know, mister, if you just got those two things, you'd be way better off than you are right now. <laughs> you know, it, it, it does just boil down to that. We can avail ourselves of the strength of God by being in his word and by praying. And so that's, that's number one, verse 10. And, and then the second part of uh, living by the strength of God is the Lord makes defensive weapons available 
to us in battle, look at verse 11, just the first few words. Put on the full armor of God uh, so that you can withstand. So the, the, the armor of God, and, and, and like I said, if the Lord allows, we'll, we'll learn more about this next week. But the armor of God is, is the defensive armor. We need to put on the defenses that God has given us. We need to recognize all around us. Are these spiritual forces, and they have a personalized attack to ruin my marriage and ruin my family and ruin the relationship I have with my daughters and ruin my influence as a pastor and, 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 and ruin my joy and take away my peace. And, and Satan is bent on all of those things. And he's powerful and he's, he's, he's a liar and he's conniving and he's, he's active. I need to put on the full armor of God. I need to recognize the attack that I am under. You need to recognize the attack that you're under. And we need to put on the full armor of God. Have you ever, ever noticed, I've seen this even here in Nacogdoches a few times, it'll be a nice hot sunny day and you'll be at the park or you'll be at a ball game and there will be one of our Nacogdoches police officers. And he will uh, be in his, you know, his, his uniform, his black uniform, and he will have on uh, or she will have on uh, body armor, uh, the bulletproof vest. And, and, and I, I show my ignorance when I say this, but uh, something goes through my mind that probably goes through yours. First of all, I bet that's hot. That looks heavy. It looks hot. Uh, the long sleeve black you know, uniform looks hot all by itself. And then you put body armor on top of that and all this equipment you've got to carry. That looks hot. And then the second thing I think is there, there are no threats here. You don't need body armor. I mean, we're, we're at the park. This is Nacogdoches. Nothing bad ever happens in Nacogdoches. And so I, it just seems unnecessary, but it is necessary, right? It's necessary. And that officer is wise because he or she knows this. You never know when danger is going to come, right? They don't wait until there's a problem and go back to their car and put on the body armor. No, they wear it all the time because you never know when danger comes. Listen, Satan is going to try to bring an attack in your life. And he's going to do this often, but there are going to be times when the attacks are stronger and greater than they are. And you never know when it's going to come. How God's going to attack your marriage, how God's going to attack your, your peace and your joy and your relationships and your influence and your reputation and your ministry. You, you have no idea what form the attack is going to take and when it's going to come or how bad it's going to be. So what do we need to do? We need to make sure we have on the armor that God gives to us. So when the attack comes, we don't have to scramble to the Lord. No, we already have on the armor so we can be protected from the attacks that Satan will send our way. So what, are, what is this armor? Well, we're going to learn more about it next week, but let me just give you two basic things today. And, and as you think about, and here's why I'm doing this today and not saving the armor till next week, you're going to likely be making some New Year's resolutions between now and the next time I see you. Let your New Year's resolutions focus on these things, on this armor that God gives to us. What is the armor? What are, what are the most, most important protections that God has given us so that when Satan attacks, we are defended? Well, I think the first one is just simply the Word of God. We talked about that a moment ago. But I can't think of a greater protection for you 
than just to be in God's word. To every day be in God's word, read God's word, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word, be in God's word. Through the word of God, you're protected because you're made aware of the attacks of Satan. You're, you learn about the schemes that he has. You, you learn about the source of your strength. You are encouraged by the Holy Spirit. You are made wise. The word of God is the first piece of armor I want you to know about this morning. That will bring protection to your life. And you reading your Bible and praying, that'll protect your marriage. You reading your Bible and praying will protect your walk with your, uh, your relationship with your children. The Word of God is the first piece of armor. You know what the second piece of armor is? I think that is just essential, and that's the church. God has given us the church. He could have made Christianity just a, a vertical kind of relationship. It's just you and God and nobody else, but he didn't. He gave us the church. The church is not an American idea. It's not a Baptist thing. It's not, it's not a modern thing. Jesus came and said, I, I, I bring to you the church. The church is the body of Christ. And the church is the chief part of our protection against Satan. When you're in church week in and week out, then you hear God's word taught. You get challenged about your sins. You, you feel the conviction of the Lord. You're, you're taught tools and, 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 and given encouragements to read the Bible. It's through the church, the teaching you get in the church. It is through the, the fellowship that you have with other people who will encourage you, who will pray for you, who will, who will give you wisdom, who maybe will even give you a rebuke in the Lord from time to time, but they'll help you stay on the right course. So Satan is trying to attack, and there are two basic defenses we have. One is to be daily in the Word of God, and the other is to be often in the church, in the church. And when we think about spiritual battles, we think about the scheme of, of the devil, we know this, the greatest victory over the devil happened when? When Jesus died on the cross and when Jesus rose from the grave. And so we've talked this morning about, as Christians, what we need to do to put on this armor and to recognize that we're not fighting with people, but we're fighting with spiritual forces and, and, and to have that approach to this. But I think for those that don't know Christ as their Savior, here's the most important thing. The only hope we have for victory is the victory of Christ. I would be helpless before Satan were it not for this that Jesus has defeated him on the cross. And through the resurrection, Satan has no power. The sting of death has been removed. And if I put my trust in Christ, I can know the forgiveness and the peace from God forever and ever and ever. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment this morning. Father in heaven, help us Help us to recognize that we don't fight against flesh and blood. I think that's such an important lesson that we need to learn. And I think I struggle and others struggle. We all struggle with that. Help me to be aware of the spiritual battle that I'm in, that we're in, every one of us. And let us lean on the spiritual tools that you've given us. Father, protect our marriages, protect our church. Protect our peace, our influence, our ministry. Protect us from Satan's schemes. We know that ultimately Jesus has defeated Satan on the cross and in the tomb. 
and help us to live that victory out every day of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.